Okay, okay. So we are trying something new, which is exciting. Okay. Welcome to All My Friends Are English Majors, the podcast where I, a business major, make my friends all English majors read popular fiction with me. Of course, I am lying because my guest of the month is Bailey, who is not an English major. Notably so. <laughs> um, a couple of things for us to get through right at the beginning. My boyfriend Sam made us a pod intro, so I'm going to cut it in here. This is the All My Friends Are English Majors pod. The only podcast to ask, does this book suck dick or rock cock? And you guys can listen to it, and you guys can just let me know whether or not you like it and want it at the beginning of the podcast. I'm leaning no, but I'm so thankful that he made it that I'm just going to play it for you guys. (laughs) Is this the one that (laughs) you sent me? (laughs) It is the one that you sent me, but I can't put it at the beginning. It's a little too forward. So Yeah, okay. (laughs) I will be thrilled to hear what others think. I will say... I did send it to my mom, and she seemed to enjoy it, though I don't know if she actually listened to it. I still am not 100% sure on that. She was just like, oh, I love it. And I was like, "Are you, Beth, are you sure about that? I do not think she listened to it. I don't think so no either. Way. I don't think she knows how to listen to an audio <laughs> on her phone. <laughs> Um, and then I wanted to say thank you to everyone for tuning back in for week two or maybe listening for the first time. Um, we're trying some new things out with the audio this week, so I'm hoping that you will be able to hear me and Bailey at the same volume. Thank for you. Thank you for your patience last week as we work through the technical difficulties. Guys, I thought that having a podcast was going to be so easy because <laughs> everyone has a podcast. I was like, editing won't be that hard. Like, Audio quality is going to be fine. Okay, turns out it's really hard. Truly jokes on us. I guess score one, maybe the only score one for men, that all of them seem to be able to just, like, have a podcast. (sighs) Yeah, I don't want to talk about it. Men do not need to have podcasts. Oh, my God. Podcasting should be women's work. Yes, agreed. Okay, perfect. Here we go. Um, some things we need to talk about this week. There is some Greek myth discourse this week, which is perfect because it is Greek myth month for us. Bailey, tell me everything you know about Sisyphus. Well, I didn't know one single thing until (laughs) you sent me that tweet that has been going viral. Um, and I did watch it with no context and I was extremely confused and I said, okay, this is just a thing that Tucker is sending me. (laughs) Um, and then you actually asked me about it and I was like, does this mean I need to figure out who the hell Sisyphus is? (laughs) Um, I guess I had heard of him before. I guess, I think I just didn't connect the name to the act that he was cursed to roll a boulder up a hill for the rest of eternity and it would fall down when he almost gets to the top right that that is his curse i don't remember what he does but he gets cursed by the gods and that his is his like task in tartarus is to push 
push the rock up the hill and then never make it to the top. And this girl on the internet was like, guys, and I really can't tell if it's satire. Because if it's satire, it's really funny. She but if seems it's not so satire, genuine. It's, it's, oh, she's like, Sisyphus is happy. Sisyphus loves to push the rock up the hill. Sisyphus gets stronger. No, the whole thing is it supposed to drive you fucking crazy. Like Sisyphus pushing a boulder up a hill and never reaching the top. Like imagine if you had a task every day. Like her thing is also that like he gets stronger. Okay, I'm sorry. Getting yoked to like (laughs) never finish a task isn't good enough for me. Like Obviously, I want to be able to bench press my body weight, doesn't every woman? But, like, I would not, my brain cannot do something all day just to fail at the end every day over and over and over and over again. Maybe she was really, like, inserting herself into the minds of men and was like, yeah, men would love this if they're only, like, uh, the only thing they were getting out of it was getting fucking ripped. I don't know. (laughs) I don't know. I don't know. It was just really strange. And everyone was like, hey, girl, have you read the myth? What, What else do you know about Sisyphus? Yeah, but anyway, Big L... For her. Big L. I will say one of the um, quote retweets that was my favorite was someone saying, did a manager write this? And that is very funny. <laughs> well, and it felt kind of like deeply Christian or at least the way that like Christianity has broken its way into the way we think about work ethic in the United States. Mm-hmm. Like it really felt like pull yourself up by your bootstraps, like mind poison. Yeah. You know, this woman loves capitalism. Oh my God. She has to love capitalism. Ooh, on this podcast, we hate capitalism. (laughs) Yeah, capitalism is not for us. Sorry to the like large majority of house reps who voted to like tear down socialism this week or whatever the fuck happened. I will say guys. If you are looking for political discourse, this will not be the pod because I had to stop <laughs> following politics because it made my anxiety too bad. Yeah, so, I was finally able to turn news notifications back on my phone after like two and a half years, and I am regretting it. Yeah, I'm not very good at figuring out how to turn notifications on and off, so <laughs> those never went away. But I did have to quit listening to The Daily, which is, like, a very normal podcast. Yeah. Like. That is so unfortunate because, you know, I do love Michael Barbaro, but. Didn't he have a sexual assault scandal, like, two years ago? Oh, no. (laughs) Oh, my God. I am always, um, here, Googling Michael Barbaro (laughs) sexual scandal. I'm pretty sure this man is bisexual, which I guess doesn't um, really bar you from having a sexual assault scandal, but I feel like it makes it no. maybe less likely. Um. Okay, no, he's just a shill for the New York Times. Yes. He was, He like, oh, he just got divorced from some guy and then married a woman. Yeah, see, bi king oh, Michael okay, Barbaro. So, How dare you, Tucker? No, 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 here's what happened. I figured it out. There were sexual assault scandal allegations 
at the New York Times, and people were really critical of the New York Times. And Michael Barbaro, who, frankly, it sounds like would probably be a scab for a union at this point, like, was like, um, we shouldn't be talking about our employer that way. They really do their best. Yeah, gross. Damn it, Michael. Okay, let's get into the book. Side note, (laughs) let's talk about what we're here to talk about. (laughs) Wait, wait, wait. Oh my god, no. I have to, I have to come out as being really mean. Um, (laughs) so... All that happened last week with Bailey finding out the Trojan War wasn't real, I have to admit, I only figured that out like a year and a half ago, but it was so funny when Bailey said she hadn't figured it out at all until last week that I, like, forgot to, like, finish why I asked the question, which was, like, I said, when did you figure out, like, at what age did you figure out the Trojan War didn't happen, was fake, and she said 24, and the answer was so ridiculous that I forgot to, like, end my question with, because for me, it was only, like, two years ago. Listen, justice for <laughs> Bailey. We're gonna get a justice for Twitter. <laughs> foul on me. Huge foul, foul on me. That's my bad. I feel a little bit vindicated. Um, okay, but now we really are going to get into the book. We read Madeline Miller's Circe, and first we have to com- have a conversation. Bailey, you listened to the audiobook. Is it Circe or is it Circe? Circe. Circe. So really as yes. if there's an E in there. Right. I am so smart this week because I did listen to the audiobook and so the reason that that is so helpful one because I can like do other things and listen to it on 1.3 speed um and two because I now know how to pronounce everyone's name so feeling very powerful this week you should feel powerful oh we also have to of course yet again because this is ancient greece have a trigger warning at the beginning that there is um a sexual assault scene in the book that we will mention um because it leads to truly like the thing that cersei is known for um which is murdering men well i mean yeah no she doesn't really murder them well the book doesn't make it clear whether or not she um eats them after she transforms them yeah so she does this fun little thing where she um turns men into pigs and i think that's so so cool of her (laughs) well her whole thing is that part of her magic is turning people into their truest form like it's what she does with glaucos it's what she does with say say the monster's name for me scylla scylla okay Mm -hmm. And then it's what she does to the pigs. But yes. as her brother, Aetes, Aetes, uh, points out, Aetes. he's like, Aetes? But it starts mm-hmm. with an A-E. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. <laughs> Aetes, her brother, points out, he's like, you really think Scylla was going to turn into that? Like, girl, you made her look like that. So... Cersei does see what she wants to see, and I think we as readers, as we go through the book, need to remember that this book is narrated by her. Mm-hmm. Madeline Miller loves to write a book in the first person. Yeah. Which is so interesting, because my mom uh, is a published author and has spent 
like a lot of time researching the best way to be able to get a book published because it's actually very, very difficult. And a lot of publishers will be like, do not put that first person shit on my desk. Like, I will not read it. I will not pass it along to anyone. And Bailey, you and I as avid fan fiction readers, what's the first thing that makes us X out of a fic? Ooh, the worst is when it's written in first person. I don't want to know. It is. No, I don't want to read it written in first person. Get that Mm-mm. shit out of here. Unless yeah. it's written by Madeline Miller. And then I want to read it every time. And yeah. Unless it's the Song of Achilles. Um, I will be reading the back of the book this time. You will <laughs> be reading I the back of the book. Because I have it in front of me. <laughs> you have my copy in front of you. And this is true. Um, So, like we did last week, we're going to read the back of the book and... See if we have any thoughts on how accurate it is on describing the actual story itself. So it starts, In the house of Helios, god of the sun and mightiest of the titans, a daughter is born. But Circe is a strange child, not powerful like her father, nor viciously alluring like her mother. Turning to the world of mortals for companionship, she discovers that she does possess power, the power of witchcraft, which can transform rivals into monsters and menace the gods themselves. Threatened, Zeus banishes Circe to a deserted island where she hones her occult craft and crosses paths with many of the most famous figures in all of mythology, including the Minotaur. (laughs) That one really threw me for a loop when I figured out that's how it's pronounced. Um, Daedalus and his doomed son, Icarus, the murderous Medea, and of course, wily Odysseus. But there is danger, too, for a woman who stands alone, and Circe unwittingly draws the wrath of both men and gods, ultimately finding herself pitted against one of the most terrifying and vengeful of the Olympians. To protect what she holds dear, Circe must summon her strength and choose once and for all whether she belongs with the god she is born from or the mortal she has come to love. Okay. So I have a lot less beef with this book and with the back cover of this book than I did last week's. Um, Some things that I think are special and maybe a reason that I am drawn to this book is anyone who knows my reading habits knows that I love to read like a generational tale. Where like one of my favorite books is Homegoing by, uh, I hope I get this right, I think it's Yagi Yasi. I'm looking at it on my bookshelf right now, Um, and basically that book takes a person from, born of two twins, um, like from each generation, and you follow it generationally, and I would say that this book kind of does that with Cersei, but she is the through point. So we see her with her family as a young child, we see her on her island alone, and then we get to follow her through the tales of heroes that we all know in like a generational way where she's the through point and we see the lessons that she learns and that people learn from her and I think that that is really special and good and I think that that made the pacing better because I was just like oh we're just gonna get another story it also that definitely makes sense I also like that on our outline that you wrote it's like special that we're doing we're reading Circe after Song of Achilles because it is almost a direct continuation of where we left off um even though it I mean it starts when Circe is you know a young child which of course is millennia ago so (laughs) way before the Trojan War 
Um, but the bulk of the story, I think, is is at this point where she is spending time with Odysseus. Um, and they're talking about, you know, his his woes, his uh the reason that he is so sad <laughs> and insane. He is um, crazy. I I crazy. also think as one of our um lovely instagram followers mentioned she dm'd us when you posted that meme and said like yeah odysseus is a biatch like we think he's a hero but really he just like couldn't take it but to be fair while not a demigod because he was not like born of athena he was one of athena's favorites and -hmm. like we talked about last week like having the hand of the gods on you is this like irrepressible pressure Like, you Mm -hmm. just cannot survive long-term. No one who has the hand of the gods on them lives a happy life. Mm -hmm. So, like, it's not shocking that Odysseus was doing bad. Almost assuredly a curse, despite the fact that you get, you know, this renowned recognition for the rest of eternity. It's, uh, sounds like it kind of (laughs) sucks. Let's talk about Circe's like godly heritage and then her first two pieces of witchcraft so Circe is the first daughter of Helios and his bitchy wife I don't even remember her name because she made me so mad Um, (laughs) I think uh, it's um Percy Percy's and then did they name their son that as well it's like Percy, oh gosh, we really should have looked this up. <laughs> That's okay because it doesn't matter because she has really no bearing on the story besides of how besides how horrible she is to Cersei. So Cersei yeah, is the oldest. Percy is the mom, and Percy's is the her brother. Oh, okay, okay. We've done it. We've done it. Okay, <laughs> so. Helios is her father. He is the god of the sun, and it is important to note that he is a titan, but he's a titan who sided with Zeus when the Olympians took over being the gods of the world over the titans. Um, So, like, the whole Kronos thing. You guys have read Percy Jackson. You know the story. We're just going to move past it. So she grows up in the, the halls of Helios's house, with her siblings who hate her or use her. Um, and she finds companionship with a man named Glaucos on an island. And a mortal man. A mortal man. <laughs> and she falls in love with him because he's the only person who talks to her. And then she decides, just like out of her own will and with some like hints from her like kind of mean brother, Aedes? Right? Yes. Um, And she transforms him. And she tells no one that she transformed him. She just knows in her heart she did. And then Glaucos goes after a nymph instead of her. And she gets so mad that she turns the nymph, Scylla, into one of the, like, scariest monsters of all time. And she, um, I mean, I guess the, like, notable part is that she transforms Glaucus into a god. Um... So that she can, in theory, like, live with him forever because he's, like, the first mortal she's ever met. And she immediately falls in love with them. Uh, And that's sort of, like, Cersei's, like, I guess not to 
compare it too much to the Song of Achilles because we're going to do that in week four. Um, that is like the big difference, in my opinion, between the narrator of Circe and the narrator of the Song of Achilles. Um, Circe obviously being the narrator of Circe and Patroclus being the narrator of Soa um, is that, like we talked about last week, Patroclus has like zero personality and also like zero character development. Um, and I think that's like the kind of fun thing about Cersei is that she, the exact way that I wrote it was a homegirl goes from not knowing a single thing for various reasons in and out of her control to caring so much about love and mortals to hating love and mortals, as is her right, to loving mortals once more. Um, and that's just sort of like, that's like the spark notes version, <laughs> basically, of the the plot of the whole book, but that's a, just a fun little thing about Cersei is she actually has some character development going on. Which made it much better. I also think, have we said this yet? Cersei is a witch. Which is oh, like, yeah. <laughs> which is very different than being a god or a goddess or a nymph. She like has the ability to transform things, which is how she ends up on her island. Bailey, how do you say the island? Ayaya. Ayaya? Mm-hmm. Sick. So... She transforms Scylla, and she transforms Glaucos, and then she gets so pissed about something that she goes to her dad, Helios, and is like, I did that. I did it. I transformed them. And everyone is kind of like, hmm. Yeah, okay. (laughs) Yeah, okay, whatever. Sure. And then Helios, like, abuses her for embarrassing him, and then has to, and then her brother comes home and is like, no, we really are, like, witches, and we can transform things, and they have to go to the gods and go to Olympus and be like, so we have these witches, and we don't know what to do with them, and the only one who was punished, because supposedly she's the only one who's used her powers for ill, is Cersei, and she gets sent to Aiaia, and then my favorite scene in the book happens, which is... Like, Cersei has spent her whole childhood feeling, like, kind of useless and out of place, and she gets to this island, and she doesn't know anything about witchcraft, but she knows she's safe, and she knows she's alone, and she spends just, like, three, like, beautiful pages just, like, walking around the island and becoming one with nature and, like, becoming a witch, honing her craft, and in, like, a special way. Like, she... She doesn't know anything, but she becomes a little horticulturist, a woman over my after my own heart, and she True. um grows a garden Is and learns out when our to cottage harvest. core fantasies. I uh, I'm not saying that I do not like the idea of living on an island by myself where I just like harvest plants all day and have all my needs taken care of and never have to pay rent. Yeah, we did talk about um last week before we started recording how uh being banished to an island by yourself is like in my opinion the perfect punishment. <laughs> I love to be alone. Yeah, a real okay bet moment. Mhm. But you won't send me there. <laughs> I feel like guys, the plot of this book is a lot more complicated than The Song of Achilles. And I think if we try to, like, walk you through the whole plot, we'll just be like, and then this happened with Daedalus. And then this happened with Hermes. And then this happened with with the the, the Minotaur? The Minotaur? 
I wanted to say Minotaur, and evidently it is Minotaur, and I do not feel good about that. But I don't really want to walk you guys through in a, like, and then next, and then next, and then next kind of way. So we're gonna just talk about the characters of the books, like, in their relationship to Cersei, if that makes sense. So we're gonna start, we talked about her childhood. Do you want to start with Hermes? Uh, yeah, Hermes is kind of a little shit, but is, I guess that is, like, the the nature of Olympians in, you know, this retelling, but, um, he, I guess, is kind of a vibe. <laughs> I'm so sorry that I'm explaining it in this way. <laughs> well, um, he's the first person to visit her. He's the first person to break her solitude. It has been, like, potentially a decade or more since she has had any sort of companionship by someone who can speak she's just on Mm -hmm. her island hanging out with her lioness sick oh so sick and hermes comes to the island and is like well i'm allowed to come here because i'm a messenger of the gods but really he just kind of wanted to gawk but then they Mm -hmm. become fuck buddies yeah that is also the the thing I think that I appreciate up until the end about this book is that it's not like extremely romantic in any way. I mean, except for, you know, you start out with um with Cersei thinking that she is like so in love with Glaucus and, you know, wants to like turn him into a god so they can spend eternity together and when that obviously does not work out um you know i think it really hits her that she's like why am i like fawning over men and mortals in this way when i can just like be alone on an island with lions and wolves and like vibe with with nature and it's very feminist (laughs) of her i think it's so iconic like she is on good terms with hermes and then she really isn't and it's because And this, I think Mm -hmm. the pacing of this book is much better in terms of character development, but I do, I did read some Goodreads comments today, and I do agree that there are some points where it drags a little bit. I didn't find it to drag because Mm -hmm. I could read about her just, like, being a witch on Ayaya for the whole book. Um, But there reaches a point where, like, she's really at a standstill. She has come back from the birth of the the Minotaur Daedalus has given her Mm -hmm. a loom, she's weaving on it, she's having a good time, and then these nymphs get sent to her island, and she's kind of stuck with them, and this is before any men have made it to her island, and Hermes says something to her that is along the lines of like, well, my favorite thing about nymphs is they never say no, and the implication is that either he Mm -hmm. does not listen when they say no, or like nymphs... I don't know, maybe in, like, a house elf sense where they, like, supposedly love to serve. Like, nymphs are just like, yeah, we can fuck. Mm -hmm. But, like, that can't be true because there are so Mm -hmm. many instances of gods raping, like, lesser immortals all over the stories. Like, lots of the heroes Mm -hmm. are born of a, like, lesser non-god, but, like, still an immortal. Mm-hmm. Or like even in the Song of Achilles, you know, Thetis is a nymph that not even was assaulted by a god, just like a mortal man. But she, you know, it took her 
a year of trying to like um stave off his advances and eventually she just yeah it's so good anymore so that kind of ends her relationship with hermes but you need that moment of like anger from cersei to understand what's coming next which is when like the men come to the island and she does not realize what is going to happen soon enough because she has been safe for so long and she thinks and hopes, I think, that potentially maybe someone, one of the gods who she is related to, will stop something bad from happening to her. But she is raped by a human man on her place of refuge, and she poisons him and all the men on his ship and turns turns them into pigs. And then she quits asking questions. Every time a man comes to her island, every time a ship comes mm-hmm. to her island, she picks out the worst of the bunch notices the look in his eyes and turns the entire crew into pigs no question it is really um therapeutic i don't know as someone who would love to turn a certain man or certain men into pigs i do think um that part of the story is like so i remember i was taking my dog on a walk as i was listening to that part and i was just really like who like yeah let's get fucking turn that man into a pig like (laughs) well i think that it's like a really good encapsulation and like fair writing of female rage that is her home like, that is the equivalent of, like, having a home invader, like, come into your home, rape you, except unlike you and me who could move, she can't because she is banished mm-hmm. to this island for all eternity. So it, I think, all, right. all rape is bad, all sexual assault is bad, I understand this, but, like, to a point is, like, like deeply, deeply upsetting because the, she is in her home and she cannot leave. So, fuck yeah, turn them into pigs. Mm-hmm. And then, I don't know, eat them. I don't care. I also think that it is so interesting and kind of vindictive that they keep their minds. Like, she talks about if she ever uh-huh. lets them out of their pen, like, some of them will literally just run and throw themselves off a cliff because they are still, like, men in their yeah. minds. Which, hell yeah. I also, so, like, my thinking, I might have just made this up just, like, out of vindication, but... I thought that, like, she would turn men into pigs, and then when the next boat of men would come, she would be like, yes, come into my home, I will feed you, and she would give them, like, the slaughtered men (laughs) turned pigs, like, as food, along with, like, her wine and her herbs with her spell in them that would then turn them into pigs. I don't know if that is true, but it would be so lit if it was. That would be kind of sick. Um... I'm wondering if maybe, <laughs> honestly, we should move to the perfect man because, like, every everyone we're going to talk about is someone that she is romantically linked with or someone we want her to be romantically linked with. And this is true. <laughs> and you are right well, about that. Well, except her son. Should we talk about her son before we get to the perfect man? Um, I do... <sighs> I do think we have to talk about Odysseus before we talk yeah, about Yeah, that makes son. sense. Okay, so let's, let's, I'm going to list them on my fingers of all of the people she is romantically linked with. Glaucos, fuck him. We don't have to talk about him for very long. He sucks. Mm-hmm. As soon as he becomes a god, he is like, yeah. oh, I don't want anything to do with you, you weirdo. Um, Hermes? Mm-hmm. Who is just kind of like an annoying little shit. And as soon as he says something that Cersei doesn't like, she said, mm, get the fuck off my island. 
which is a vibe. So he's definitely not the perfect man. (laughs) Daedalus is the perfect man. (laughs) Okay, I also love Daedalus. So Daedalus, if you do not know, um, so Cersei's, let's start at the beginning. Cersei's sister, Pasiphae, is married to the king of Crete named Minos. Uh-huh. Minos is not the father of the Minotaur. In Pasiphae's words, oh my god, why are you stuttering? I fucked the bull, okay? And she Basically, sure someone, I don't remember which god, puts this beautiful white bull down on Crete. And in some retellings, not in this one, because Pasiphae is, like, far too certain of her own actions in this book for her to have been, like, tricked by the gods. But in some retellings, the queen of Crete, Pasiphae, is made to go mad. And the only way for her madness to stop is to fuck the bull. So she makes, like, Daedalus make her a little cow costume, and then, like, of that, the the Minotaur is born. So all that happens, and Daedalus is held a little bit responsible because he is the one who makes her the little bull costume. Um, So he makes her the bull costume, she has the, the Minotaur, there's, like, the whole killing of her son in the labyrinth. But what we really care about is Daedalus, who is mm-hmm. trapped by Pasiphae, who is, in this story, Cersei's extremely bitchy sister. Mm-hmm. And during the birth of the, the Minotaur, um, Cersei is allowed to leave her island and goes to the palace and assists with the birth of the Minotaur and then has to stay for a little bit. Um, and during that time, she is, like, with Daedalus, and he eventually makes her a loom, and he's just, like, smart and listens to her and is a creator with his hands in the same way that, like, Cersei is, and I think it's very sweet. Mm-hmm. His whole, uh, he is also the father of Icarus, which I Aww. did not know, and that is sad. He is the one that made Icarus's wings. And told him to not fly, fly too close to the sun. And we all know how that goes. Um, oh. He built the labyrinth that um, the Minotaur is banished to. So he doesn't kill everyone on Crete. Um, that famous one from Percy Jackson. You all know. Um, he's just like, yeah, he's a creator. He's a vibe and he's very nice. Yeah, he rocks. He yeah. also is the first, like, mortal that she is involved with, because I don't know if we can count Glockos. Mm, yeah. And so, like, he is a prime example of what we see Cersei go through over and over again, which is, I have, I am meeting the right mortals. They are worth more than the gods are saying they're worth, and, like, we should pursue them not for our own gain but just because like they are special and deserve to exist outside of what they can do for the gods mm-hmm. so he rocks he does Who's rock. next who is next i think next is odysseus, is odysseus. Next? yeah Damn. okay so odysseus we talked about with the song of achilles he is a favored like tribute i don't know of athena um he is at this point, when he meets Cersei, beginning his odyssey, he stays with Cersei for, like, a year, which is before he's kidnapped by the nymph Calypso and forced to stay for seven years. And he comes to the island, and he stays on his boat, because he's been warned, I would guess, by Athena. Oh, wait, no, him and Athena are beefing at that point. Um, but he stays on his boat and lets all his men get turned into pigs. 
<laughs> and then like comes to the island and basically just like challenges Cersei intellectually. Mm-hmm. This is post Trojan War as well. He had just gotten, you know, done with the 10 year war and then is in theory going back home. In practice, not so much. Yeah, doing a bad job. Um, but yeah, Cersei is a little bit smitten. He challenges her in the same way I think that Daedalus challenged her in terms of, like, mortals make all these mistakes and do horrible things, but it is, like, time for the gods to stop pretending that they are not, like, causing it or doing those same things. Odysseus? Mm -hmm. Like, I really appreciated Madeline Miller being like, yeah, the shit that Odysseus did in the war was bad. Like, he did not stop the death of Hector and... Is her name Andromeda? Andromache's son, Astyanax, like, he is, like, ripped in half by Achilles' son and, like, thrown from the ramparts. He doesn't stop that. He doesn't stop the desecration of the temples. He has, like, killed spies who he promised, like, safety to. Odysseus helped win the war by being ruthless. We think of him as, like, wily or, like, smart or having the hand of Athena on him but like we forget that the way you win wars with your wiles is by getting the information you need or making the choices you have to by any means necessary like Achilles Mm -hmm. cannot win the war on the strength of his like back alone he had to have Odysseus also doing like the gray area work and he is so charming, but also so cursed. He's, like, very, very, very mentally ill. Yeah. Yeah, homeboy is constantly going through it. He also um, is, like I said, doing a um, particularly bad job of going home to his wife, who he claims to love so much. And I do think he does, but I also think, um, I mean, I guess part of it is probably, I was thinking about it as I was listening to the audiobook, like, He clearly loves his wife so much and even like Cersei is picking up on that and yet they're still like fucking every night and it's like, why are you doing this? (laughs) Penelope is like half a, half a sea away, you know, like. Literally like a two day boat ride. Yeah. Like swim. I don't know. (laughs) Oh my God. Well, and also, like, I think that Cersei kind of sees her island as, like, a liminal space. Like, the Mm -hmm. things that you do on the island do not count in the real world. But, like, Mm. Penelope knows. Because every time a bard, like, comes through, because God knows Odysseus is, like, docking his ship other places. Euphemism and not a euphemism. Um, so, like, the bards find out about it, and then they make it to Ithaca in, like, three fucking days, and are like, ah, so, Odysseus, like, slept with this nymph, and slept with that nymph, but he's trying so hard to get home to his wife that he loves, and it's just, like, really awful. Um, what, what do you have written in this here outline, Bailey? Um, I have written here that Odysseus is giving big Cersei is my manic pixie dream girl vibes. Okay. Um, 
which I do think goes along with your uh, description of Iaia being like a liminal space. Um, I think probably Odysseus thinks the same thing that like he's like, well, I don't know. I mean, this is like, you know, a magical island and like I'm really tired <laughs> and like Cersei's a goddess and she's like really hot, I guess. So, you know, I don't think it's that big of a deal if we sleep together literally all winter while my wife is once again a two-day boat ride away um i don't really think it's like a any port in a storm situation but i do think that odysseus has like pretty bad ptsd and like to a point cersei's acceptance of the things he did were like very was like very necessary for him to heal but then he didn't heal because he still took another eight years to get home yeah i mean is this like a god's curse on him like why Mm. why does he like go fucking insane so other than ptsd so basically, at the end of the Trojan War, can't believe I'm going to give more Trojan War history. Um, <laughs> at the end of the Trojan War, the Greeks desecrate Troy. And most importantly, they desecrate the, the temples. So, like, Priam, mm. King Priam, is, like, laying at the foot of the Zeus statue and is, like, dragged away. There are, like, multiple priestesses raped within the temples of different goddesses. Um, and gods and the rest of Greece, besides Odysseus, who is like, I gotta get the fuck out of here, stay and, like, sacrifice things to the gods. But Odysseus leaves and Poseidon is so pissed that he, like, knocks his ship astray. Like, Athena won't let him kill Odysseus, but he will not allow Odysseus to just, like, make it home. Mm-hmm. So that's why yeah. he's cursed. Um, sucks. I don't know. Like, what's the most important thing to come out of Odysseus and Circe's interaction besides her, like, love for him? It's the birth of her son, mm-hmm. which I think is really what we need to get to is the birth of Telegonus and, like, what pushes the back. Telegonus. Telegonus? Telegonus. Telegonus. Because it's Telegonus and Telemachus. Fascinating. Okay. Um... <laughs> Telegonus is Circe and um, Odysseus's child. Um, basically, Circe is just like, um, I think I'm going to quit taking my birth control. And then does. <laughs> and then she has a child of Odysseus's um, who he doesn't know about. And immediately, things go really, really, really wrong. He is a child who has to be moving or screaming, one of the two, usually both. He, like, thank God that Cersei is a goddess because she, like, literally just doesn't sleep for six months, like, caring for him. He just, like, stops scream, like, never stops screaming. And then she realizes that, like, worse things than normal are going on. Like, he shouldn't get attacked by a whole beehive and things like that. And she finds out that the goddess Athena is coming after him. Bailey, why is the goddess Athena coming after him? Oh, dang. And that's a great question. (laughs) Um, Well, 
Telegonus is, I guess, as the fates do, um, fated to do something we don't know about, but apparently it is very bad. Uh, soon we find out that it's because Telegonus is, um, fated to kill Odysseus. And since Odysseus, as we all know, is Athena's fave, um, she does not like that. And so she said, hey, girly Circe, hey, uh, can you just give me your son real fast so I can kill him? Um, I'll give you like a new son and he'll be like really great. And Circe's like, hey, that's not really how it works, girly, but thanks so much. (laughs) And then she casts a crazy ass spell. Yeah, she said, no, Athena's here. No gods here, no one else allowed on my island. Mm-hmm. Which, good for her. I will say, when Athena was like, I will take away your very terrible, like, f- just straight up sucks child, um, I was kind of like, do it. Bailey, okay. I'm, I really enjoy the first three quarters of this book when she does not have her child. But, like, yeah. the reason that this book has purpose, the reason we understand why things happen the way they do, especially at the end of this book, is because of Odysseus coming and Telegonus being born. Like, mm-hmm. you have to go through Circe's journey of a mother's love and standing up to the gods and the eventual death of Odysseus to get to where this book gets to. And I know that we, like, mm-hmm. both have qualms with the ending of this book, but, like, when it comes down to it, like, the ending of this book is not about her eventual, like, final love and final choice. The end of this book, like, I think if we do not end up with Penelope and Telemachus? Telemachus. 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 (laughs) If we don't end up with Telemachus and Penelope on the island, I think that Cersei still eventually makes the choice to kill Scylla and, like, end her own immortality so she can die with her son. Mm, I agree. Yeah. I will say Telegonus is, he is extreme, has extreme typical son behavior, like doesn't ask his mom any questions about her, only wants to know about his father who he's never met, thinks nothing and no one can hurt him. Well, and like he's too weak to actually hear the stories of his father's actual actions, like Cersei would yeah. be like, and then he cut the throats of all the spies he said he'd save. And Telegonus would be like, uh, that doesn't sound like something my dad would do. So, like... Yeah, because I've met him. <laughs> oh, my God. But Cersei, like, continues to make these, like, incredible incredible sacrifices. Because, like, let's face it, not sleeping for six months is an incredible sacrifice. But... Truly. When her son wants to leave the island, she's like, no, the goddess Athena is after you. And he's like, I don't care that the goddess Athena is after me. Like, I need to leave. I need to have adventure. Um, so he- No, let's talk about how he's like, I'm 16. So it's been 16 years since Athena tried to kill me. So she's probably like forgotten by now. It is no big deal. And Cersei's like, you fucking idiot. 
16 years is two seconds. I know, I know. God, he's so fucking dumb. That's the worst part it's of this so book, dumb. I think, is that Telegonus, who is, like, this driving force behind the plot, just really kind of sucks. Yeah. But also, like, I think you and I probably need to remember what it's like to be a 16-year-old when you're like, the whole world is in front of me, and my mom <laughs> won't let me get after it. Which, like, is yeah. what's happening to him. And, like, just because Athena was not allowed to, like, physically touch him doesn't mean that she couldn't have been like, hey, Telegonus, think about how much your mom is taking from you right now. Like, just think about mm. that, you know? Because, like, the gods mm-hmm. can talk to humans. Um, yeah. Do we want to get to our last man? Last man, indeed. Telemachus. Telemachus. Uh honestly best boy yes oh my god except for the part where he um fucks his brother's mom okay so so true and as someone who has (laughs) been watching milf manor like no i i can't look away i can't look away guys if you want to talk to me about milf manor just send me an email send me a dm like it's fascinating it is the weirdest fucking show i've ever seen i like am kind of mostly not enjoying it But I gotta know. (laughs) Anyway. It's so terrible. Telemachus is the son of Penelope and Odysseus, and he spent 20 years not knowing his father. And when his father does get back, he immediately kills 12 men, forces Telemachus to kill 12 women, and then immediately is is like, Telemachus, get the fuck out of here. I can't believe you've been trying to take my throne. So, like, Odysseus is winning awards for bad dad. And, like, being kind of crazy and having really bad, like, he has, like, instead of restless leg syndrome, he has, like, restless full body syndrome. Like, he is, like, um... (laughs) He must plunder. He must plunder. He must take lovers in other cities. He, like, must leave. The only time he's satisfied is when Athena is, like, Odysseus, like, go on an adventure. I'll protect you. And then he does... He's like, damn, girl, you right. So Telegonus is like, I want to meet my dad. And Cersei says, fine, but I'm going to go to the oldest stingray in the ocean and earn its tail. <laughs> the oldest stingray in the ocean? It is! That's what he is! He's the oldest stingray in the ocean! <laughs> Wait, isn't he a leviathan? I thought he was a stingray. <laughs> uh. <laughs> Well, you might, I, <laughs> who can never be well, sure? Well, because right at the end, when she, after she kills Scylla, she, like, accidentally drops the poison tail, and she's like, oh, it'll sink back to, it's like Stingray Host, right? I read it on my Kindle, so it's really hard to flip back and check. <laughs> True. I, again, was listening to it at 1.3 speed the whole time, so I may have missed the part where he is <laughs> giant Stingray. Um... But he's this giant stingray, or a leviathan, whatever your interpretation is, and she, like, walks to the ocean floor and is like, I would earn your tail, and he's like, fine, you have to touch it, and you'll be poisoned for the rest of your life, but you'll live, but it will be in agony, and she's like, to protect my son, anything, and she goes to touch it, and the stingray is yeah. like, psych! Look. He's like, actually, that is so The brave. fact that you would Just even take do that, you can have it. Um, yeah, which, which kind of, 
I have qualms with that part because I really wish it was so much longer. Like you wish she was talking. Because that was like so interesting to me. Well, and you have to think about like in comparison to that stingray, like the Titans and the gods are so young, which is really interesting because like they feel like life has been happening forever. Like this book, not being able to tell how much time has passed actually does a lot for the plot. Unlike the Song of Achilles where... Like, not being able to tell how much time had passed really takes away from the plot a lot. And, like, for her to go to talk to this Leviathan who is basically like, look, I've been here since before the gods and I will be here after them. Like, your story, like, means not much to me. But I have been, like, moved by, frankly, like, the humanity in your choice and like will gift this to you so she gets this poisonous thing his tail and gives it to her son and is like this will protect you and then he's on the beach and he's trying to meet his dad and odysseus pulls up and is basically just like what the fuck are you doing on my beach tries to kill telegonus and accidentally has the poison like brush his cheek and he just like drops dead yeah sucks but homeboy needed a he needed a he break needed to rest like yeah like send that man to the afterlife where he can maybe take a nap yeah hang out with achilles and patroclus who he did hang out with in the underworld in like a little bit of this book but and that is true so that all happens and that is when like i would say the final act of this book starts i feel like this book has like three acts so it has her in the hall of the gods until she starts being on the island her on the island until telegonus leaves the island and then telegonus coming back and the end of end of the story so you have like a first act and then the middle act is all the time she spends with all of the heroes theseus and Mm -hmm. daedalus and Perseus and Odysseus and then we have the end where she like finally makes I I don't know I think the pacing of this book is really good like some of the Goodreads comments said Mm -hmm. they thought it was like boring and really dragged and I was like you just don't like witches damn said oh so you're a misogynist oh so you you hate hate women women? that's what I'm Mm. hearing okay (laughs) okay let's see so anyway we haven't talked about Telemachus. Telemachus? Mm-hmm. Like Tillamook cheese? Telemachus. Like what? Have you ever heard of Tillamook <laughs> cheese? No. Oh, it's from, it's from the Pacific Northwest. I watched an ice cream tasting video from them once. It really made my brain feel good. But I'm never going to be a super Tucker, taster. I'm so lactose oh, intolerant. Oh, God, that's true. But only as of recently, in like you? the last six years... Yeah, oh my god, true. Bailey, we still haven't talked about how we met. We're going to have to do that next week because we're way too deep on the book right now. <laughs> um, Telemachus is the son of Penelope and Odysseus. He, like, does not begrudge the fact that Telegonus killed his father. And Penelope... Yeah, he's like, honestly, good riddance. Penelope, Telegonus, and Telemachus... Jesus. Um, mm-hmm. all, all come to... Ayaya. Ayaya. And Cersei is like, 
hey, what, what the, the fuck? fuck did you do bringing these people here? But it turns yeah. out, like, Telegonus gets along a lot better with Penelope and with Telemachus, and that Circe and Telemachus get along really well. Telemachus is um kind of like the guy from Holes who says, I can fix that. <laughs> yeah, is I that see a good that. description? Yeah, he's um he's I don't know, he's like 30 at the point that he's like on the yeah. um on Aya and like has been doing like all of these things for his mother and for his people while his dad's been gallivanting, lollygagging, if you will. I'll also say like I think Cersei has been looking for someone to care for her in a quiet way for a really long time. Like, Odysseus mm. was interesting, but he did not do anything for her. Yeah, I think Telemachus is possibly supposed to be, like, a Daedalus 2.0. Oh, that makes sense, but he wasn't really doing anything special. He was just like, let me fix your pigsty. Let me fix your roof. Mm-hmm. Like, he understood He's the... He's, like, the most mortal mortal. <laughs> but he did not begrudge his mortality. Like, he really just... Like, when she was like, well, it'll rain, and then the floor will slip again, and he's just like, then we'll fix the table again. Like, just because things are going to happen again in the future doesn't mean that we should, like, suffer now just because they'll get worse again. Like, I think that he has a really, Mm -hmm. like, patient heart in a way that Cersei is Mm -hmm. kind of desperate for. Well, they're kind of like, I mean, that was his entire childhood is like, and that was like Penelope's like entire adulthood was having to be so patient to wait for their dad husband to get back. And he was like, "Mm, I'm busy. So. And she, damn, they really been through We're going to talk so much about Penelope in week four. I have so many book wrecks with Penelope in them. I love her. I love Penelope. She fucking rocks. Um, Yeah, she does rock. Another good thing with Penelope, there's a really excellent movie called Penelope that has nothing to do with the Iliad. That's one of my faves. It is definitely a movie for an eighth grade girl who feels kind of weird in her body. (laughs) (laughs) Anywho, um, I guess we should say what happens at the end of the book. I just understood the Penelope reference. Oh. I forgot that you made me watch that version. Um, I made um I made my boyfriend watch it and fell asleep like twenty minutes in and didn't wake up for an hour and a half. So he did just watch all of Penelope by himself. And I did miss I did miss like one of my favorite movie kisses. And I was like so oh pissed. My gosh. Um <laughs> Look, sometimes I'm sleepy. Yeah, you are very sleepy. Um, It's okay, aren't we all? So, at the yeah. end of this book, they come to the island, and Cersei challenges Athena, and then her son decides to go with Athena, and she stays with Telemachus, and then Telemachus is like, well, why don't we go visit your son? And Cersei's like, I'm not allowed to leave, and then she's like, but wait... And she calls her dad, and she really throws down with him, and it fucking rocks. She Mm -hmm. is like, look, I have, like, really said nothing about my being stuck here, but I am my own woman now in a way that I was not when you put me here a millennia ago, and I will be leaving, and here's why. 
And then yeah. she does something really badass, which is kills Scylla, who was, I think, what she felt the most guilt about the whole the whole book, right? Mm-hmm. So she makes Scylla yeah. into this giant sea mos- monster because Glaucos is in love with her and she thinks Scylla's a bitch. And she is. But she ate six to twelve sailors every time they rode through a certain pass. And, like, Cersei mm-hmm. felt the weight of all of those deaths on her shoulders. And so the first thing that her and Telemachus do, Telemachus, hmm, um, mm-hmm. is they go <laughs> and kill Scylla, which I think rocks. Like, yeah. I think it is a really good encapsulation of, like, the end of the story where, like, she ends this thing that started her whole journey and she can finally be comfortable doing what I think she potentially has been foreshadowed to do the whole book, which is end her immortality. Mm-hmm. And that's what she does. She's like, Telemachus... Ah! Telemachus! <laughs> Telemachus! Telemachus is the man for me. I love him. Yeah. And, like, I want to die... With my son and with my love, and, like, Penelope can become the Witch of Aiaia, and that's fine. It is so lit. It is so lit. It is so lit. I love when women become witches. It's true. It's interesting, too, because, like, the whole, um, you know, Penelope even asks uh, Cersei at one point, like, how does someone become a witch? And Cersei's like, I don't really know, but I think it's just kind of like a vibe. Like, you just have to, like, want to become one and maybe be, like, a little bit vengeful. Penelope is like, yo, bet. I am all of those things. I got this. Uh, Yeah, and then she does, and she was like, and Cersei comes back, and she's like, hey, so I've been fucking your son. Sorry about that. And Penelope's like, no, I saw it coming. Yeah. (laughs) She's like, after you fucked my husband. I just figured. I really just expected it from you. Oh, God. That's the one thing I don't like. Like, I wish that a man exactly like Telemachus, like, loved Cersei. Because he is absolutely the right type of man for the woman we have spent the whole book getting to know. But Jesus Christ, he's, like, really the son of her former lover and father of her child. Like, he is her son's half-brother. Oh, and I like milf and I like get that like the gods don't really think like that. But that was my one ick when yeah. I rem- when I remember reading it the first time was just being like, oh guys, we don't yeah. gotta do this. Also, I mean, so yeah, the you know the end is she decides she's like okay, you know what, I will be immortal now, and this is sort of I don't know like she has since the beginning since she spoke with prometheus um about his you know love for mortals giving them fire um has had this intrigue of mortality and finally she gets to experience it with her son and telemachus and that is like the whole thing but i don't know there was like also another part of me where i was like but like but but her lions on her island and her her herbs. Like, can't she just do that forever? But, like, but, maybe... Okay, I'm going to talk about normal, normal people for a second. Um, <laughs> You're going to say Mormonism? <laughs> um, uh, anyway, normal people, the book series <laughs> ends. The book ends with, like, 
them deciding that they're like going to go their separate ways but they are always going to love one another and Paul Paul Meskel the actor who plays um Connell Waldron in the television series was on an interview one time and he said to himself he said in an interview like the reason that I am comfortable with the ending of normal people is because I am certain in my heart that Connell and Marianne are together somewhere like whether or not they are in a relationship they are always going to be that person for one another and I feel that same way about how there will always be a witch on Ayaya like Mm. whether it will be Penelope there will be some other woman whether or not she is immortal who comes to the island and says like this is where I am supposed to be and I will like do what I am supposed to which was like Cersei was really, like, kind of a keeper of secrets for others. She was also, like, I think your time on Ayaya as the Witch of Ayaya is also supposed to help you grow and, like, become, Mm -hmm. like, becoming the Witch of Ayaya is also coming into yourself, which I Mm -hmm. think, like, this book shows us. Okay, that is so slay. It makes me feel bad. Like, <laughs> Sorry that I had to take a very roundabout way to get there. But I think I think about that Paul Meskel interview all the time because like that is how I also became comfortable with the ending of the TV TV show Normal People. As I was like, You're right, <laughs> like Connell and Marianne are always going to be in each other's lives. Like they are always going to be together, whether or not they are together. Um, <laughs> any whomst, do you want to go to go re- to Goodreads? Because we can't really do too many hands. Like, Cersei fucks a lot in this book, but there's no, there's no smut. Yeah. Which, but, you know, it's probably You know for the what's best. really upsetting is the most graphic sex in this book is when she's raped. Yeah. And this, um, I will say, I think this is a good time to bring up the fact that I did wish at some point her and Penelope would fuck, but... Yeah, I know. That honestly would have been better. One, I think Penelope Penelope would have felt like she was getting revenge on Odysseus, which I think she deserved to want. And two, like, I think I would feel a lot less of an ick about her getting with Penelope than I do about the fact that, like, she is, like, fucking her half-brother, her, like, son's half-brother. Yeah. Also, gay witch sex. Fuck yeah. Hello. Hello. Okay. Well, anyway. Um yeah, let's go to Goodreads comments. Okay, I can start with my short one. Okay. What do you call the large sty Cersei filled with erstwhile men? A good start. That sounds <laughs> like a dad joke. That's so good. <laughs> okay, my next one. I also saw that one on Goodreads and I was like, Tucker better have put this I on. I did, here. I did. Don't worry, don't worry. Do you ever just get mad because you're spending your life paying rent and dreading the next impending catastrophe when you could have been a goddess living in an enchanted island unreachable by men and only seen every 10 years? Yes, I do. That is exactly what I get mad about every day. Okay, to be clear, I'm in a happy and loving relationship and I don't really want to live on an island as a witch right now, but I have always had a little cottagecore fantasy and like... Mm-hmm. damn imagine a little stone house have we talked about how you're literally getting a, a degree certificate in horticulture yeah i'm becoming a witch guys <laughs> actually no i'm getting my ass kicked in community college but 
that's okay because I'm following my <laughs> dreams. True. Okay. We love that. Um, my first one is kind of funny because uh, it's like someone that gave the book like four or five stars or something like that. And I think they just don't really know what um, this like saying means but <laughs> they said count your fucking days madeline miller <laughs> and then go on to say while reading this book i forgot i was reading it every page of circe felt like reading something made in heaven this goes down as one of my favorite books of all time i'm like then why are you trying to murder the author count your fucking days i will say madeline miller is writing a hades and persephone story and if she can, like, capture the love of Song of Achilles, but, like, the character development and actual, like, good bookness of Cersei, then it's yeah. going to be a good-ass book. Yeah, that will be a slay. We will have to, again, Madeline Miller, come oh on the pod. Oh, my God, Bailey, <laughs> Madeline Miller is not going to come on the pod, no matter how viral you make us go with our with our little memes on the Instagram page. Our little memes um and then the second goodreads quote is actually like serious because i did want to talk a little bit about um what it describes so it's kind of long stick with me here it says cersei has found itself wrapped in all of the fluff and build-up and publicity of a typical ultra-hyped big-named publisher release let's be serious most of us love these kinds of releases and all the hysteria involved even if we shy away from actually reading the hyped release itself it can be a book lover's dream a book with all the fanfare of a blockbuster silver screen release i too was swept up in the craze yet another smash hit from the publisher who brought us fan favorites like twilight <laughs> and whom i once interned for in london okay slay good for you uh but in the end i couldn't ride the cersei wave all the way through so that was just like one portion of this person's like very long goodreads comment um but i did think it was interesting that they like almost essentially captured the maybe they've been listening to the pod oh my god maybe <laughs> um thanks girl <laughs> um captured like the entire like basis that this podcast is is based around is like you know let's talk about these like really like hyped popular book talk bookstagram books and see if they like really you know if they're really it and that's where we go into our next section <laughs> okay yes let's move to was the book good or did it just make you feel good what are you thinking bailey uh, it was a good book. It really was. Again, like comparatively speaking to Song of Achilles, um, character development, great. Uh, men murdering, great. Feminism, almost great. Witchiness, five stars. Um, it did make me feel good. Uh, like I said, I listened to the audiobook version of it. So like at some points I was getting a little bit lost in the sauce. Um, but that is just the nature of me trying to multitask. Um, and I guess, I mean, it wasn't obviously like my favorite book I've ever read in my entire life. Uh, but it's, it was good. It really was. What about you? What do you think? I think it made me feel good and I think that it is good. I like agree with some of the complaints that people have on Goodreads about the pacing. I found it really interesting that I saw a lot more comments that were upset about the liberties that she took with 
um, ancient Greek mythology in this book than I saw with Song of Achilles, which I had a lot more beef about her interpretation of the Iliad than I did with, like, looking at the heroic tales from the outside point of view of Circe in this book. Um, I think that this is a well-written book. I think that it is surprising to me that people do not pull quotes from it the way they pull quotes from Song of Achilles. Because, like, while this this movie, this book, is about... It is not a love story, but it is because it is a story about self-confidence and growth and love and becoming comfortable in your own skin, which to me as, like, a 25-year-old woman who is, like, I feel, like, still coming into myself a little bit. Like, every year I am older is a year that I am, like, more comfortable being the way that I am. Um, Like, it is really, like, buoying to read a book that, like, you get to watch that happen for someone else, even if it is, like, in a, like, witchy Greek goddess kind of way. Like, mm-hmm. it is still accessible in a way that I think is really special. Yeah, I do think there are, like, two, probably two reasons, I guess, two main reasons why maybe people wouldn't like this book as much as other mythological books. Um, one, I do think you hit it, hit it on it a little bit. I think I, if I read this book when I was younger, I don't think I would have liked it as much as I do now. Um, I think now that my brain is almost fully formed, um, Ooh, I think I'm like almost able 25. to, almost 25. Uh, I think I'm able to appreciate it a lot more for what it is and, and how it's written and for, um, how Cersei is. Um, and I also think that, I mean, maybe you can speak a little bit differently about it because you know more about Greek mythology than I do, but I really am not familiar with a lot of Greek myths. Um, evidently, (laughs) let's go back to the Trojan War. Um, so I think a lot of the qualms were people, um, you know, saying that they they didn't like the liberties Madeline Miller took with, you know, how the the myths are actually written. Uh, mm-hmm. And I like, I don't know. I didn't know about that. So like, as someone who is basically like reading them for the first time, um, I was like, oh, hell yeah, this is so slay. <laughs> um, sorry, I keep describing things as slay. <laughs> That's okay. Um, the whole point but, of the podcast is it is like an encapsulation of like a moment in time. True. <laughs> so you are just like talking how you talk and that is just fine with me. <laughs> Thank you. I have Tucker's blessing to say slay as much as I want. <laughs> well, I like I think that's something that's while I'm like never going to build like years long camaraderie with a co-host because I'm always going to have a new monthly guest like I do think that, like, one, I think it'll be really interesting to see if I code switch a lot with new guests, Mm. but also, like, I think that it is going to be fun to hear, like, this is how I talk with my friend Bailey, and, like, this is how I talk with my, like, next month guest, and, like, that is going to be fun, at least for me, and I think part of doing a podcast is being a little bit selfish, because, like, I think you have to like to hear yourself talk a little bit. 
to mm. self-produce your own podcast. So yeah. Okay. Would you buy it? Um. Ooh. Now that's a question. I mean, last week I didn't really have to answer because I already own it. Um, the Song of Achilles, that is. I don't own Circe. And my answer comes, I think, in two parts. One, I live in a studio apartment and I do not own a bookshelf. <laughs> so that makes me answering the question of would I buy this book a little bit harder because where would I put it? Um, the other part of the answer is once again, it all goes back to capitalism. Would I spend, let's see how much it says this is on the back of the book, like was $16.99 US? Um, that does not account for inflation. Uh, oh man, I'm so cheap. Well, I got it for Christmas this year, so. Ooh, okay. Now, would I get it as a gift? Spoiler on my answer. <laughs> um, I think if I owned a bookshelf, I would buy it and I would put it next to the Song of Achilles and I would say, I used to, um, when I was a kid, I used to order books in the, so I would put them like in their series and then I would put like at the very top left hand of my bookshelf, like my favorite book series of all time. And then next oh. to it would be like my second favorite book series of all time. And it would just like Hell go yeah. down the way. Um, so I think I could put it if, I were doing that same thing, you know, a little bit above Song of Achilles and it would be on my bookshelf and I could say, look at this. I like this book. Um, so your answer, answer is <laughs> yes, if it was a gift and if it was a bookshelf. Yeah, if I owned a bookshelf, perhaps I would buy it. Okay. And your answer is you already own it. <laughs> That's true. And it when I read it, I think I read it in like early 2021. And I, like, wrote it down in the note I keep on my phone of all of the, of all of the books I want to own. And I would mm. check thrift books, and they wouldn't have a copy. And then I would check thrift books, but I would buy something else instead. And then Sam got it for me for Christmas. So now oh. I have it, and I'm glad I own it. It is a book that I want a reminder of reading. Cute. Okay. We did it. We made it through. We read our Goodreads comments. We talked about all the men that Cersei sleeps with. We talked about how weird it is that she chooses to stay with her ha son's half-brother. So talked now about the all murdering that's left. and the pigs. Oh, the murdering and the pigs. So now we're going to tie it up. Um, follow English Majors Pod on Instagram at English Majors Pod. Follow us on Twitter at English Majors Pod, no I, which I know is a weird spelling. You can also send us an email if you have any thoughts about the books on at EnglishMajorsPod at gmail.com. My name is Emily Tucker. You can also follow me on Instagram at Emily Ann Tucker. Um, and finally, finally, what else was I going to say? Oh, please rate and review us on Instagram. Instagram. Oh my God. Please rate, and, rate and review <laughs> us on uh, iTunes and Spotify or anywhere else you listen to podcasts. If it is not somewhere that you like listening to podcasts, I can try to get my RSS feed onto that website. You just have to let me know. 
So thank you for listening. uh, Catch us next Wednesday. Oh, so true. Our final book of Myth Month, which is Ariadne. By Jennifer Saint, who um, also wrote the book Electra. I have, I really like Jennifer Saint. I'm excited to talk about it. So we will talk about that next week. And, ooh, do you think I can use Sam's pod intro as a pod outro? <laughs> Just play it as many times in the pod as you want. <laughs> oh my god. Okay. Talk to you guys next week. Bye, guys. Bye.